Hi, this is ETF.com's Exchange Traded Fridays podcast, a weekly podcast covering developments in the ETF industry. My name is Sumit Roy, and I'm Senior Analyst for ETF.com. This week, I'm talking with Mac Sykes, Portfolio Manager and member of the Global Research Team at Gabelli. Mac, welcome to the show. Thank you, Summit. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So I want to start off by asking you about the current state of the financial sector. Obviously, the regional banking crisis was a huge story earlier this year. More recently, there's been talk about banks having to raise more capital, which has been weighing on their shares. What should investors know? Hard question, but let me just knock it down to three things for you in terms of the regional banks and the bigger ones as well. So first uh, is figuring out rates. So question is when we'll get a normalized curve versus the inverted one we have today. And obviously, we're all worried about inflation and what that will impact in terms of the ultimate level of rates going forward. Both of these determine funding costs and ultimately NIMS, which net interest margins uh, for the banks. So last week, the good news was that we may be in the process of trowing um, in terms of indications from bank executives. So some of the executives, they said that net interest margins could flatten as early as 4Q of this year and the first half of 2024. The second piece of the equation is credit, which has been very good. Uh, if that rolls over versus this gradual normalization, that could also impact earnings. And obviously, we're monitoring what's going on with CRE and, and office, et cetera. Uh, and then last, as you commented, we know there's regulatory change coming. Obviously, higher capital, more risk oversight, um, both of which could mean higher expenses and lower ROEs. When you add all this up, there's still a lot of uncertainty. And then as Jamie Dimon said this week, there's still a lot of uncertainty about the macro in terms of overseas, what uh, the Fed stabilization will do, et cetera. So I, I think at this point, we prefer the more major scaled institutions like JP Morgan, Wells Fargo. Both have diversified revenue streams and advantages around lower funding costs. That's great context. And Mac will get more into, you know, specific investments you're making. But, you know, obviously, uh, some of the audience might not know, but you managed the Gabelli Financial Services Opportunities ETF, ticker symbol GABF. You launched that just under a year and a half ago. And I took a look at the year-to-day returns, and they're quite strong, up around 21% which is significantly more than the 2% gain for the S&P 500 financial sector index. What's driven that massive outperformance? So I think I would just point to a few notable contributors this year. First of all, at the beginning of the year, Focus Financial, which is a wealth manager, I was trading around 37 to start the year and announced a deal in first quarter to be acquired for $53 per share, and that just recently closed. Uh, so that was a nice benefit to our PMV with a catalyst approach. Our largest holding, as you know, Berkshire Hathaway has generated strong returns on the back of their securities portfolio and operating earnings, and that's contributed to, to the performance. And then another notable contributor is First Citizens, which we bought before the deal for SVB uh, and obviously had significant accretion benefits. Just, just put some perspective on that. Tangible book value going into the deal was $572 per share, and now it's over $1,300 in 2Q. So you've seen a, a really nice, significant increase in the shares at First Citizens. Amazing. So obviously some great picks uh, that the fund has made. So what's the investment strategy behind this ETF? Um, you know, are you just looking for companies that are undervalued? So at a high level, our firm is a value firm. Um, and so our founder, Mario Capelli, 
pioneered our uh, private market value with a catalyst methodology. Uh, but when we launched this fund, um, it was to take advantage of what Warren Buffett calls the American tailwind of prosperity. And one way we measure this is through the change in household income. Um, so in 1971, it was $5 trillion, and today it's now over $55 trillion. So uh, certain financial services are obviously well positioned to benefit from this long-term trend. And by example, think of a payments company like American Express. So you have a great brand, a wonderful model in terms of reliance on charge revenue, and an incredible management team that has achieved high ROEs over an extended period of time. So there's a company with good visibility, leverage to the American system, and doing quite well for shareholders. That's interesting. So, you know, you know, we can talk about individual stocks in a bit, but obviously the financial sector is quite varied. There's a lot of different uh, businesses within that. You know, what parts, broadly speaking, are you most bullish on and uh, what parts are you avoiding? Investors usually think of financial services as analogous to just bank funds and we do, hold, we do hold bank securities, but um, you know, we have a very diversified portfolio. I, I would say at this moment, the, the sectors that really are attractive to us are the payments, as I mentioned, American Express, uh, wealth management, uh, and alternatives. Uh, we've been avoiding the smaller regional banks uh, and also insurers that are more tied to commoditized revenues. And uh, one of your top holdings is a company called FTAI Aviation. Uh, I checked and that stock has performed phenomenally this year, but it's not one that on the surface you would expect to be in a financials ETF. Do they have a financial services arm or something like that? Right. So it's a, it's a bit of a different company within this space. Um, it's an aviation leasing company. So that's run by Joe Adams, who's been very successful in generating returns. So they generate their revenue from buying and leasing engines and aircraft, uh, financing those, and then leasing them. So they've done a, they have a pretty differentiated uh, business and doing some very smart things to expand their revenue base. And I have them generating about $550 million of EBITDA in 23, towards a company goal of about a billion in 2026. So along the, with the higher EBITDA journey, I also expect multiple <laughs> expansion. And so a very promising outlook there. And the dividend's about a dollar twenty, so you're getting a insur you know financial services yield of three point three percent, and that could also rise in the future as cash flows increase. And another one of your holdings that uh, I was hoping you could talk about is Schwab. That stock got dragged down earlier this year with the regional banks, but the fundamentals for Schwab are a bit different than the regional banks, isn't that right? That's correct. Um, so when we think of this company, we think of it being a large wealth manager. Um, they do have a bank uh, within the, the business. Um, and, and like other financial institutions, they extended duration on their deposit book and are facing material marked market losses as rates have risen. Uh, I, I think it's been a little disappointing, um, to say the least, on their balance sheet management perspective. Uh, and it will be an overhang uh, as long as they look to lower that exposure going forward. But I think for us, at the end of the day, though, this is a company with 34 million accounts, 8.2 trillion in assets, and a very loyal customer base. And you have management that steadily improved the platform over time. And I believe they're well positioned to take share of this 80 trillion wealth transfer from the baby boomers, as we've highlighted. 16 trillion of that is expected to move this decade, or an average of about 1.6 trillion per year. And you just think about those numbers, pretty significant relative to the 8 trillion that they manage. 
and also compare that with just the 1.2 trillion of fiscal stimulus, which is set to occur over the next couple of years. So we think this company is very well positioned to continue to grow their uh, assets under custody uh, and, and also benefit from the fees associated with that. Wow. Yeah, those are absolutely massive numbers. So, Mac, uh, you've touched on regional banks. You said you're you're kind of underweight them. Uh, here in the ETF space, we have seen you know money flowing into some of the regional banking ETFs. People uh, kind of want to bargain hunt in that area. Do you think there's any opportunity there, or is just the new regulations that are coming down the pike um, just too much for this this group? So, I think. Um, there's there's opportunity there, and it just you, I mean you have to keep monitoring it just because of the the difference in performance between the the large banks and what has occurred in you know the KRE index and and so on. So there's been a significant difference in terms of uh, valuation that has occurred just having those banks go down and the the bigger banks be stable to up. So I think in terms of a value proposition, they're they're certainly more appealing. The question is the business outlook, and as we talked about, and I think. The catalyst that we would come back to the table uh, in terms of investing in those would be kind of a more normalization of the rate curve, both in terms of getting rid of this inversion, so less pressure on the, the spread component, and also a stabilization kind of to lower rates potentially, uh, where you don't, I mean, mortgage rates at seven and a half today are kind of prohibitive, in my opinion, to, to growing that book. Um, so there's, there's a couple of things that would need to happen, I think, before we would start to get reinterested in, in kind of the small and regional banks. Gotcha. Now, I, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the structure of your fund. GABF is a non-transparent ETF, which means that you don't disclose its holdings every day. Why did you decide to go that route? So when we were developing this, this platform, we were seeking a vehicle that mimicked our position disclosures and our mutual funds because we felt that uh, we did not want to disclose our proprietary information on a daily basis. But at the same time, provided the tax efficiency and the real time, real time liquidity of an ETF. So we also wanted to be a part of the democratization of fund access. And so as a firm, we've launched five ETFs. And I would just note that on that front, one of my first shareholders when we first launched this was a high school friend who bought 25 shares. So there were a number of things that we liked about the ETF. We did select it uh, based on the you know, dis disclosure in terms of you know, managing our own uh, proprietary positions. And we think that benefits shareholders as well um, in terms of disclosures. Uh, but at the same time, you get all the benefits and tax efficiencies of the normal ETFs that are out there today. And have there been any challenges in implementing the non-transparent model or has it been running fairly smoothly in the way you envisioned? So I would say our fund operations have been very smooth. Um, I certainly benefit here from the scale and knowledge of our firm. I mean, yes, it's a relatively new fund, but backed by an institution with a long tenure in the industry. So I, I, th I feel like it's gone pretty well. I don't, I don't think from the investor's perspective, there's that much difference in terms of, uh, you know, what they see or how they transact or the liquidity that they provide. So it mimics a lot of the other ETFs, uh, but just is a little bit differentiated in terms of the disclosures. That's great. So, Mac, before I let you go, is there anything else you want to add? Well, I just want to say thank you for the time here, but I would just say, look, with any new fund, it's always an entrepreneurial venture. We've worked really hard to build our track record at this point and connect with investors. And personally, I've really enjoyed embracing this model. I've been in the business for, for many years, and this has just been a lot of fun to, to build this. 
I think it has a really clean value proposition, solid fundamental outlook, and now we just need to get the word out. So thank you for the time today. Fantastic. Well, we're going to be keeping a close eye on the fund. Thanks so much for your time, Mac. Really appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Summit. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find this and all other Exchange Traded Fridays episodes on ETF.com or on any major podcast platform. See you next week.